0: Welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. Today is... January 2nd, 2024, and today we're going to read from Genesis uh, 2. The format for this show, by way of reminder, is I read a chapter of the Bible every day, and then I offer a key explanation of key ideas, of key themes, and then the theology. The goal here is to get you in God's Word about 5 to 20 minutes every day, and then at the end I'll give you some questions to take home and to think about during your day. So here's Genesis 2. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, it was watering the whole face of the ground. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second is Gahon. It is the one that flowed around the land of Cush. And the name of the third is a Tigris, which flowed east of Assyria. And the fourth is the, is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of every but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in it, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said... This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this text before us in the first three verses, it brings to a conclusion the opening section which we looked at yesterday in Genesis 1 by emphasizing that God has completed the process of ordering creation. The repeated phrase, God rested, does not mean that he was weary from labor. The effortless ease from which everything was created in Genesis 1 focuses on the purpose of creation. As reflected in the various ancient Near Eastern accounts, divine rest is associated with temple building. God's purpose for the earth is that it should become his dwelling place. It is not simply made to house his creatures. God's activity on this day, he finished, he rested, blessed it, and made it holy. They all fit with this delightful pattern. The concept of the earth as a divine sanctuary, which is developed further in Genesis 2 4 through 25, runs throughout the whole Bible, coming to a climax in the future reality that the Apostle John sees in his vision of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21 uh, 1 through 22, 5. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy in Genesis 2 3. These words provide the basis for the obligation that God placed on the Israelites to rest from their normal labor day on the seventh day, as we see in exodus twenty eight through eleven There is no evening followed by the morning refrain for the the day prompting many to conclude that the seventh day still continues, which underlines john five seventeen and hebrews four three through eleven so genesis two four through four twenty six just dis- this section describes Earth's first people. Centrally focusing in this section on the Garden of Eden, the episodes that make up this section of Genesis, they recount how God's ordered creation is thrown into chaos by the first human couple's disobedience. The subsequent story of Cain and Abel and then Lamech in chapter 4, it shows the world spiraling downward into violence, which pre- precipitated the flood in Genesis 6.11 and Genesis 6.13. These events are very significant for understanding not only the whole of Genesis, but the whole of the Bible. Now, in Genesis 2, 4 through 25, which we read today, we see man and woman in the sanctuary of God. And the panoramic view of creation in chapter 1 is followed by the complementary account of this six-dig uh, that zooms in on the creation of the human couple who are placed in the Garden of Eden. In a style and content, this section uh, differs from the previous one, but it does not contradict, like some claim, chapter 1. Instead, this section serves as a literary flashback, and it supplies more detail about what we find in Genesis 1:27. The picture of a sovereign, transcendent deity is complemented by that of a God who is both eminent and personal. So the two portrayals of God balance each other together, and they provide a truer and even a richer description of his nature than either does of its own. And where chapter 1 emphasized the regal character of human beings, chapter 2 highlights their priestly status. And so in Genesis 2-4, the phrase, the Lord God, is used. Throughout Genesis 2, 1-3, the generic word God was used to denote the deity as a transcendent creator. And the reader is now introduced to God's personal name, Yahweh, translated Lord. The use of Yahweh throughout this passage, it underscores the personal and the relational nature of God. The precedent for translating this as Lord and not Yahweh in English is found in the Septuagint's customary translation. That translation was then quoted many times by the New Testament authors who also used the Greek term Kyrios or Lord rather than Yahweh for God's name. Genesis 2, 5-7 concentrates on God's creation of a human male amplifying Genesis 1, 26-31. The main action here is on God forming of the man. Genesis 2, 15-16 presents the overall picture of Eden presented in the preceding section. That suggests that the park-like garden is part of the divine sanctuary. Our verses in chapter two of Genesis tell us that man is put in the garden to work and to keep it. The term work it denotes preparing, intending, and, and keeps and keep it adds to this idea. And since this command comes from before Adam's sin, work did not come as a result of sin, nor is it something to be avoided. Productive work, we can say, is part of God's good purpose for man in creation. And the same two verbs are used later to describe the work undertaken by the priests and the Levites in the tabernacle. Uh, man's role is to be not only a gardener, but a guardian. As a priest, he is to maintain the sanctity of the garden as part of the temple complex. As the Lord commanded the man in Genesis 2.16, it means that the command was given to Adam. It means that God gave the man a leadership role, including the responsibility to guard and to keep all of creation, a role that is related to the leadership responsibility for Eve as his wife. We're going to look at this dynamic and what it means in Ephesians 5. We'll talk about it briefly in today's episode, but not in any detail until we get to Ephesians 5. Now, in Genesis 2.17, we're going to see that the Lord permitted man to eat from every tree of the garden, but, but the one, the, the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, experience gain by fearing the Lord, as we see in Proverbs 1.7, is wisdom, while that gained by disobedience is slavery. You shall surely die in Genesis 2.17 is unfolded, as we'll see tomorrow in Genesis 3.4-5. Genesis two eighteen through twenty five it describes how God provides a suitable command companion for the man. I will make for him in Genesis two eighteen can be translated I will make for him and explains what Paul means in First Corinthians eleven nine. And so, in order to find the man a, a helper for him, the Lord brings to him all the livestock, all the birds and and birds of the field. None of them are fit for man. Helper is one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking for the helped. The term does not imply that the helper is either stronger or weaker than the one helped. Fit for him or matching him is not the same as like him, meaning a wife is not her husband's clone but compliments him. Adam naming uh, the name of the animals demonstrates his authority over all the other creatures. What we see in Genesis two twenty three through 24 is the Lord fashions a woman from man's own flesh. And here scripture highlights the sense of oneness that exists between the man and the woman. Adam joyfully exclaims in our text, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The terminology used here is later used of blood relatives in Genesis 29:14. The sentence and the story of Eve's creation both make the point that marriage creates the closest of all human relationships. And it's also important to observe that God creates only one Eve for Adam, not several Eves or another Adam for Eve. This points to marriage between one man and one woman for marriage that God established here at creation. The kinship between husband and wife creates obligations that override even one's duty to parents. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, as we see in Genesis 2.24. The cultural background here is in ancient Israel, sons did not move away when they were married, but they lived near their parents and inherited their father's land. They left their parents in the sense of putting wife's welfare before that of their parents. The term hold fast is used for practicing covenant faithfulness in Deuteronomy 10.20 and Paul brings these ideas together in 1 Corinthians 6.16-17. Other biblical texts can call marriage a covenant like in Proverbs 2.17 and Malachi 2 fourteen. Paul's teaching in Ephesians five, twenty five through thirty two is founded upon Genesis two, twenty three through twenty four. And so Genesis two twenty four observes that when a man leaves his parents and takes a wife, they shall become one flesh, that is one unit, a union of a man and a woman consummated in sexual intercourse. And so Jesus appeals to this verse and Genesis one twenty seven in setting out his explanation of marriage in Matthew nineteen four through five. Naked and not ashamed in Genesis 2.25 is a final description of, in this section, offering a picture of the innocent delight and anticipates further developments in the story. And so the subject of the couple's nakedness is picked up in Genesis three seven through 11 and a play on the similar sounds of the words naked and craft and links the end of this episode with the start of the next. Now, here's some questions to consider. And, and some of these are going to be the same from day to day, but... Uh, what what stood out to you in our reading of, of this text to you? Write these thoughts down, by the way. Have have a notebook. What stood out to you in this text? Uh, what does this passage say about marriage in light of our, our cultural moment, especially with the rise of transgenderism? How does that understanding of, of, of how the Lord created a man for a woman, how does that challenge that narrative? Ask yourself that question. Think about it. Uh, it's something to think about. It's something to talk about because we see it on the news. So I'm drawing that out because we see that in our text and we talked about it today. And and even how does your work, how can your work contribute to the greater good of society? How can it contribute to the good and to be a blessing to other people? Uh, do you know, ask yourself the question, do you know that, that when you gather together, in the, on the Lord's day, you gather to be taught the word, but then you scatter out into your various vocation to where God has placed you in that place to work hard for his glory alone and in what ways today are you struggling with that idea and how does a text like this text that we've considered today, how does this text encourage you? how does this text challenge your notion of work and of where the Lord has placed you so Those are just some questions to think about today. Uh, Maybe more than one question to think about. Those are three pretty big questions, I understand. But write those down. Be thinking about those things because, you know, there's something to really think about uh, as we continue on. But Uh, I want to thank you for listening to or watching this episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and I want to thank you for joining me on today's episode. Uh, Please tell your friends and your family about this show. Until tomorrow, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.